Jared, good morning. And, and first of all, did you ever think we would we, we would be talking about a work stoppage that led to the cancellation of some baseball games? I was hopeful we'd avoid it. I I'm I'm an optimist, I guess by nature, maybe out of ignorance sometimes. So I I, I didn't think it was going to get to this point, even up to the uh, that final day. But uh, you know, I guess it was always a possibility. Unfortunately, the relationship between mom and dad. Uh, is not very good. The the best analogy I can give is, you know, divorces you know, very, very rarely uh, do you stay uh, incredibly close. I guess that's why it's a divorce. I know there's some, some divorces where mom and dad stay uh, really friendly, uh, but usually it's varying degrees of contention. And that's kind of the way it is in all the sports between the players and the owners. But some uh, have a, a more cordial relationship than others. And unfortunately in baseball, it's the mom and dad who just uh, don't even like being in the same room as one another. And uh, that delayed the, the negotiation process and it set everything back and it, it's gotten us to where we are today, unfortunately. And, and this, this may not be a fair question, but you, you, from, from a fan perspective, uh, you know, we, we look at it and go, hey, look, we understand that, that there's – there's things that have to be resolved, and they've got to have a, a working agreement, you know, the collective bargaining agreement. But at some at, at some point, I think fans just don't care. They've got their own problems. They want baseball, and they're they're unbelievably frustrated right now. I mean, does baseball see that? I, I hope so. I, I you know I think so, and I, I don't. I want to. I'm going to say something, and it. I don't think. Listen, I, I think the players care about the fans. I think the owners care about the fans. I think they all, uh, at the end of the day, recognize the importance of the fans. And I hope that they have the foresight to also recognize that they have not done a great job cultivating relationships with people my – I'm 30 years old, people my age and younger. They're just – there isn't that same connection to baseball as there is with the older generation, and I hope they see that. Unfortunately – when these negotiations uh, get as, as tense as they do, you know, they're thinking about the people they represent, which is the players. They represent the players, and the commissioner represents the owners. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, if that's all you're thinking about, then you're, you're uh, no pun intended, you're swinging and missing here. And when you get into these negotiations, you use economists and financial guys and labor lawyers and all that, but labor lawyers don't have the, the wherewithal to know what's going on with the fans. The, the end result of an economist's work does not necessarily cater to uh, the, the relationship between the sport and the fans. And I think sometimes you get too deep into negotiations and it becomes too much about winning the negotiation. You forget what the, the winning result really is, and that's growing the game. And, I, you know, I, I hope that what comes out of this, whenever an agreement is reached, is – momentum towards improving the game and making it a product that is better positioned to compete with the countless number of entertainment options, not just sports, but entertainment options that people consume today. And unfortunately, baseball has been falling behind a little bit in that race. Jared, how long can baseball go in, in this process before it gets on really, really, really thin ice? So I think my answer to that is, more like if, if they come to an agreement today, but the game itself does not change, that there are no, that the two sides can't agree on ways to change the game. I think they are worse off 
than if they miss two months but are able to make changes that improve the game. Because, you know, in, in the long term, that's what we're going to remember. That's what's going to matter. You know, getting things like, you know, my opinion, a pitch clock and uh, doing things to, to create a more enjoyable, entertaining product. Uh, I think the pitch clock is, is one step. I think finding a way to reemphasize the starting pitcher, uh, you know, either by in, implementing Jason Stark's DH rule where the minute, you, uh, the minute you pull the starting pitcher, you lose your DH, which would incentivize teams to maybe keep their starter in longer and uh, maybe limiting pickoffs. You know, one thing I, I think about limiting pickoffs, which was something I was against at one point, is that I, I think the game is enjoyed more by a fan when they understand the rules. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, my family's South African. My dad watches cricket all the time. It, to me, was incredibly boring. He took me to a cricket match, explained the rules, and cricket's not my favorite sport by any means, but I enjoy watching it so much more because I understand the strategy. I don't think 98% of baseball fans know why the heck a pitcher would throw over to first base four straight times. And honestly, half the time, I don't understand why. And so if you limit pickoffs and say, hey, two pickoffs uh, you know, in between each pitch, now there's a or maybe two pickoffs per batter. Uh, now there's a strategy that fans are aware of and can play along with and understand, and I think that would increase the action uh, in the game. Unfortunately, while the home run race saved baseball in the 90s, maybe along with Cal Ripken's consecutive game streak, the home run in some senses is killing baseball right now. It's, it's no longer a special event. It happens a little too much, and the other events that are exciting, the ball in the gap and action on the bases, that's decreased, and I think that uh, while we didn't realize it as it was unfolding, those are incredibly enjoyable events, maybe now more so than the home run. Uh, not saying the home run is not a valuable play. It's the most valuable play in baseball. But the action that unfolds, home run, strike, out, walk, is not as enjoyable to consume as uh, some of the action that we were used to over the previous decade. Jared, do you think there's – is there any concern at all from the Rangers' ownership in this? I mean, they're losing money with the new stadium – it seems like they would want to go out of their way to get the season going so they could fill the stands and kind of make up for some of that, that economic hit. I, and I don't know. It's a great question. I don't know the financials. My guess is it's the smaller market owners that are probably in uh, a little more compromised. You know, it stinks for the Rangers that uh, they open the season at home uh, because, you know, if these games don't get rescheduled, some teams are going to lose home games, other teams don't lose that gate. So let's say we just miss a week. You know, the Rangers are not only missing their home opening series, but it's the Yankees. It's and that's Yankees. kind of a double whammy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think I could be wrong. I think the Rangers uh, financially, the ownership is, is, is in a good spot. Now, everyone has obviously suffered the last uh, couple of years. And, and, you know, my understanding is uh, the Rangers ownership group is tied to oil. And, and I don't, you know, I'm not smart enough to know whether, you know what the state of oil is. I know that maybe it took a hit here uh, the last couple of years, but I think they're okay. I think the fact that you know they spent as much as they did, uh, that was not a we're spending and by gosh we better make every penny back. This was we're spending because we got the money and we got more to spend. And uh, whenever this lockout ends, I think you you might see the Rangers throw out some more money. So I think they're okay. Uh, and a lot of these these negotiations. Uh, for the owners and for the players that are positioned for them to make even more money. So uh, I think they're fine. I think it's probably the smaller market teams that uh, are in a, a little more trouble just because they're not going to be able to draw nearly as well 
Uh, whereas the Rangers, you know, even in a really bad year, in a 100-loss season last year, relative to their record, they drew well. And now you add some recognizable names to the fold, uh, some excitement. I, I think the Rangers should be okay. The question, I think, is, is, is baseball okay? And what sort of a general hit will all of baseball take? Uh, but I do believe the Rangers are maybe better positioned to deal with that than uh, than most clubs. Jared, is there one or two things that that are preventing these two sides from coming together, or is it a multiple of problems that uh, that have kept them apart? Both. I, I mean, I think you could probably highlight two things. The first thing is their their horrible relationship, and that's. Uh, evidenced by the fact that once the lockout happened, it took almost two months for these two sides to even come together. Uh, and, you know, the fact that uh, it took until maybe the final 72 hours or if Rob Manford wants to say the final nine days for them to really get this thing going, uh, that's, that's because the relationship was, was really poor. So that's number one. And then as far as the, you know, the core economic issues, it seems like the competitive balance tax, which is just a, a fancy way to, I guess, describe a soft salary cap has been a big issue. Uh, you know, the, 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 the foundation of a lot of this is tanking. Uh, I think both sides recognize that tanking is probably not good for the sport, but the rules in the past have incentivized tanking. And so, like it or not, it's a good strategy, or it has been. Uh, but when a team tanks without a salary floor in an uncapped league, there's going to be an incredible disparity between the haves and the have-nots in spending, and there's less money in general that is spent. And so the players want the floor uh, to they, – well, they want a floor to exist, first of all, and then the owners want uh, a ceiling to exist. And while it's not going to be a salary cap, it's going to be a tax figure uh, that will also come with further penalties for uh, consecutive years in which you exceed that number. And obviously the owners want that number as low as possible. The players want it as high as possible. The players want the floor as high as possible, and the owners want the floor as low as possible. And they're having a tough time coming together on that. And then the players want there to be a, a salary pool that can be distributed to super two players, players who uh, have two years of service time. They're not quite free agency ready, but they perform at a high enough level to where they deserve more than the contracts that they get tendered uh, pre-arbitration, which you know, you can have an MVP caliber player making $750,000. They want those special level players to be able to uh, be compensated at a level commensurate to their performance, or at least approaching that. And the pool of money allotted to those players uh, has been a, a big sticking point. The players have initially proposed $100 million. The owners, I think, have gotten up to maybe 25 or 30 So there's a $70 million gap there. Jared, trying to put a positive spin on this, for the Rangers, is this giving them an opportunity to better look at some prospects and some up-and-comers? Well, I, I appreciate what you're doing. The, you know, it's, it's not easy putting a positive spin on it. They'd have that opportunity anyway. Uh, and so I would say that the, the, the plus-minus, because, you know, Chris Woodward, for instance, I, I, I believe he can interact with these players, but, you know, I don't think they're uh, – you know, they're really engaging too much uh, in what's going on. And, and even if they were, uh, you know, they would have that same opportunity for those higher level prospects anyway, with mini camps and stuff that would take place over the year, maybe for the lower level guys, the guys who are not the, the elites, you know, the Davis Wenzels, the Josh Youngs, who's unfortunately dealing with an injury, uh, the Jack Lighters, the Cole Wins, maybe the guys who are not at that level, it gives them more of an opportunity. 
But I would say that the you know what's unfortunate for the Rangers is they make these two signings, and from a fan's perspective, had all this momentum, all this goodwill, and then bam, you know, the lockout happens. But you sign these guys not just for what they do on the floor, uh, but you sign them because or on the floor on the field, you sign them because of what you believe they can do in the clubhouse. And and with the lockout, while players can interact with players, it's really tough for the this coaching staff and the front office to get together with these. Uh, these new acquisitions and the team and, and start to lay the groundwork of the culture they're trying to build. You know, unfortunately, uh, whereas, you know, you take the Dodgers, they have an established culture. You know, they're, they're not really at a loss when it comes to that. There's an understanding of what Dodger baseball is right now. And the players who kind of carry that, that torch and wave that flag, they're still there. Uh, the Rangers have a totally undeveloped identity. And, and so they haven't been able to put work towards that. And I think that's been a challenge just in talking to people and, and, and a point of frustration for the coaching staff and for the front office. And I know they're incredibly eager for this lockout to end so they can start laying the groundwork for what has been, unfortunately, the last few years, a losing franchise that's trying to turn things around. 